This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Clay Bowers, and I'm with Luke Oswald, and we're joined today by Jess Starwood, the amazing forager from California and uh, also Arizona, and I've hung out with her a few times. She's super cool, super knowledgeable. Tell us about yourself, Jess. What got you into this? Uh, Well, I got into foraging through herbalism, actually, Um, so I... I have a master's degree in herbal medicine and that path led me to, um, well, I was also getting a master's in holistic health or sorry, holistic nutrition. And it, uh, you know, I just was really interested in where our food comes from and getting closer to the source, getting closer to, um, you know, real food. So that was kind of what got me into it and then just I have uh, an obsession about mushrooms and um, all the things that they can do for us as well as um, just just the act of getting us out into the forest uh, with our friends is is kind of uh, I think one of the best things out there so let's Um, rewind it a little bit Jess Um, So you said degree in clinical herbalism and holistic nutrition. What drove you towards that? Because that always is pretty fascinating to me because a lot of times you hear about like foragers who learned about these benefits and then they're like, oh, hey, I'm going to get a degree in herbalism. This is so awesome. I'm going to help people, but they're already foraging. You went Mm. the other way and decided to get into that. So let's talk about that a little bit and and what led you towards that journey and, and how it progressed. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, a little bit backwards. I, well, I've always been, I love school. I love, um, science. I love, um, all that. And 
you know, I, my actually, my undergrad was in graphic design. So I had a completely different career, different way of life uh, before all this. Um, and it was when my first daughter was born and I, it just, everything clicked and realized that I wasn't living the life that I wanted to provide for my daughters. And I wanted to eat healthier. I wanted to be healthier. I wanted to provide um, something better for them. So um, raising them I and living in the middle of suburbia, I didn't really have much other than a garden to really explore with. So, um, but I had an internet connection and a lot of time on my hands during the day as a stay-at-home mom and pursued a degree. And then once... Uh, yeah, things got things got a little tricky with with the marriage, but um, eventually found myself in the forest. Nice, a little nice. bit of nature therapy. Absolutely, it saved my life. It literally saved my life. Jess, the um, you are so good at finding mushrooms, and um, we have we have talked about this in person because you um, you told me, and I I agreed with you that. California is such a hard place to learn mushrooms that you're like, you're like on this different level. So I, I remember being with you and you finding there's these like just lumps in, in the ground that were almost imperceptible. You're like, there's mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and we yeah. found out, uh, what are the rose blushers? Is that what those were? Um, the, uh, uh, the Amanita, uh, uh, yeah, the blushers, I yeah, believe, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. That was the Amanita Nova Nupta where we, yeah, yeah, they were like right in the hillside. And I'm yeah. like, yep, right there. Yeah. So um, what is what is your experience then um, finding mushrooms like in other parts of the country? Do you just like, like, ah, oh, it's easy. I can't believe these. <laughs> well, <laughs> l let me clarify first that um, I'm in Southern California. Northern California is a completely completely yeah. different story so mm -hmm. um even just going up there it's like you know mushrooms are everywhere um but down here you know it's it's very dry where we live practically in a desert and it's you have to be really really good at uh knowing where they are and finding them knowing where the moisture is um mm -hmm. and where it's going to be you know, hidden or, um, yeah. So it's, yeah, going to a different place. It's like, like, oh, you guys have it so easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> anywhere else, you know, it's like you practically walk down the street and kicking over mushrooms. <laughs> where out here, you people don't even know that mushrooms exist in our region. You know. Mm -hmm. Um. So how did you get so good at that, though? Like, um, um walking around a lot <laughs> walking around a um, lot uh just being out there all the time and paying attention and um you know kind of like what was said earlier was you know nature therapy um i i really needed to be outside and spent most of my time all my free time just checking us checking stuff out and looking for whatever i could find and and you know eventually i keyed in on the clues and um and it's 
it's not that difficult if you you know you just you're just out there so what were you <clears throat> seeking first jess like was there specific mushrooms where you read about them or learned about them and you're like oh i need to find these or was it just <laughs> hey let's stroll through and find something and see where this journey takes us um at first it was oh look it's a mushroom that's really cool but that didn't last long because uh, I started to learn about morels and chanterelles. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I really need to find these. So that became my quest um, and was able to, it took some years. It definitely took some years of, you know, dry seasons or, um, you know, just bad luck um but finally cracked the code and um yeah i've got some really good chanterelle and morel spots that i will not give up so when you were <laughs> looking for morels the uh were you looking for burn morels at first and kind of follow i mean california does have a lot of fires so it would make sense to follow the burns in the next season and uh look for them yeah yeah definitely um that's that's a really great way to do it. Um, and yeah, you're, I've got it down pretty good to where if I know a, a, if there's a wildfire, I know, I, I know the spots and yeah. I'll be there next spring. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if any uh, mushroom hunter in California has ever intentionally set fire for, for morale purposes. Mm, that would be sad that if that yeah. was the case um but i do see on the forums on on facebook and stuff like oh bummer and there's a fire but we'll be there in the spring <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and that that is uh, predominantly a factor of a lot of the um, mustard greens right they yeah. start a lot of the fires yeah, yeah. um uh, talk more about well, this <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we have a kind of a problem with an invasive species of all the different wild mustard, like black mustard and field mustard. And um, after a fire comes through and just scrapes the, the landscape clean, uh, the mustard just takes over and fills in before any of the, it's so fast growing, it's um, taking up all the resources from the native plants so they can't get established. So most of our hillsides that have burned in the past are just rolling hills of mustard. And those then become extremely flammable and repeats the cycle over and over again, um, not letting native plants uh, get back into um, their habitat. Wow. So Luke, they are, they're like, they get about six feet tall sometimes. Yeah, the black mustard is six to ten feet tall, eight mm -hmm. feet tall. They're really, really tall and just they're just tender. They're so yeah. brittle and and um, yeah, they go up real fast. Yeah. And um, I was uh, who who was it we were just talking to? We, we were uh, talking to Lorenzo, like, which I oh, you yeah. and I both yeah. said, uh, you know, it's yeah. kind of funny. You'd think somebody would try and find this lucrative enterprise to to utilize all this just uh, readily available mustard, but the seeds. I, yeah, you know, I've I've been teaching for over 10 years now here, and I bring this up all the time to my classes. And, you know, I'm in L.A. basically, and 
people they're like oh yeah we could make mustard and sell it and there's a lot of entrepreneurs out here you know but Mm -hmm. it has yet to take off and it's unfortunate (laughs) somebody needs to do it (laughs) let's do it clay we start a mustard brand let's rape the land for of all the mustard uh do you do you harvest any of those mustard greens jess uh i do actually yeah i'm always collecting mustard and i try to serve those as often as i possibly can in my classes just to spread awareness about them and and that instead of you know propagate or allowing them to propagate you know use them get them get them out of their life cycle use the seeds before they get set use the greens before they even flower you know um, or use the flowers because those are pretty tasty too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the whole most of the whole plant is is edible. A little bit tough and stringy in the stems and roots, but everything else, is, you know, cook it up. It's really good. So, is that something you'd want to like ferment or something to try and uh, soften it you up? You could. Yeah, you could. You could ferment it. Um, but I find that. Um, oh, you mean the the stems and yeah. roots? Yeah. Um, my friend Pascal Bodar, I know he does that. Um, and he'll, he'll use it more for flavor. I think, um, as far as like actually eating them, I think they're just a little bit too tough. Mm. Um, but you know, as be good compost. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, so Jess, what, uh, what sort of wild edibles are you getting into right now? Today we are recording this on November ninth. So um... mm, right now, well, I just got back from collecting a ton of acorns. Um, so we're yeah, acorns are falling right now, and that's keeping me really busy because um, I am just about out of my last year's uh, store of acorn flour. And it usually lasts me all year for classes and events and dinners. Um, but yeah, that's quite crucial at the moment. And luckily we have tons and tons of oak trees out here. What species are you collecting? All sorts. Um, I Today I was collecting uh, scrub oak, scrub mm-hmm. oak and uh, Quercus I'm going to mess up. The of name, course, Clay. But... You're just collecting quercuses, okay? Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, it does yeah, matter. It, it, it does matter in California, you know, and I'm sure Jess would tell you that, that, um, you know, depending on your oak out there, it could be higher in tannins, lower in tannins. You know, they have oaks that are like two inches long. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, you could still utilize any type of acorn. Let's not be yeah. acorn snobs here, Clay. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I am somewhat of an acorn snob. I will interject that. Um, <laughs> I A couple of years ago, I did go through and collect as many of our native species as I possibly could to do a taste test of which ones that I liked better, which ones were easier to process. And um, I definitely came across some winners and favorites and ones that I would prefer to collect than as opposed to others. So um, what was the best? Yeah. The best tasting one was the California black oak. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And is that in the white oak group? That is a red <laughs> oak. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, all good. I've, I've been teaching oak classes all uh, last couple of weeks. So 
Okay, so is it Quercus illicifolia? Um, no. <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> oh, I had my fancy uh, smart device and I just looked up and uh, must be another scrub. It's a uh, Quercus berber berberidifolia. Berber oh, okay. Yeah. So it's uh, like a, a mouthful. No, yes, it's not one of those <laughs> ones that roll off the tongue like Quercus lobata or oh yeah, um, yeah, or Quercus chrysolepsis. Yeah. Um. So, have you ever collected tan oaks? No, I haven't. That uh, has been on my list of because they grow a little bit farther north of me, yeah. and I usually don't go up north until a little bit later in the season for mushrooms. So, I'm mm. always like crossing paths with the tan oak season unfortunately all right so you guys you're gonna have to explain the tan oaks to me what what's so what makes that special well it's <laughs> not it's not in the quercus family okay. um and so they're a little bit different they have really spiny caps on them or hairy caps on their acorns um, and i haven't tried them so i don't know how different they taste um, do you know anything about them, Clay? I just know that they were, um, you know, if you read that book, It Will Live Forever. Have you ever read that? Nope. No. That? Oh, It Will Live Forever is a great book about the native California women and their acorn harvests and, and how they process them and ate them. Well, that sounds and great. It's a cool book. And um, it's a historic look at the Northern California tribes, I believe. Do they process okay. them and in pits, Clay? Uh, they process them, I'm assuming, the same way in all of California. You know, like you kind of grind them down in, in like a big mortar and pestle. And then, um, <laughs> in like oddly a, enough. A leech pit, though? Is that how they did it? No, they would leech right on the sand, which is like crazy. Because you would sense. think that you would think that you would get sand in it, but they ground it into such fine flour that they could actually kind of dab it off with getting and get no sand in the, in the meal. Hmm. And, um, but yeah, tan oak is mentioned in that as being like one of the favored um, mm. trees because, you know, where, like, I, you do a lot of hot leaching, right, Jess? No. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm not. I'm, I'm a cold leech fan. Of oh, that. okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought for some reason you did hot leech. Um, no way. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> see, she is an acorn snob. Who's doing hot? Yeah. Why do you want to lose I mean, every on. nutrient available? Come on, and Clay. flavor. Yeah. I hot leech. Of course you do. <laughs> oh, sorry, <Yeah>. Clay. <laughs> no, um, I do cold leech too. But I actually, um, uh, this year at the Great Lakes Foragers Gathering, they did like fifty pounds of hot leech acorns, and then they uh, they made acorn pancakes for 300 people and wow. and they were so good and i was like i hadn't hot leached in a couple of years and i was like man i gotta start hot leeching again um but anyway so um yeah the tan oak is a species like you said it's in the fagaceae so it's got that same it's in the same family as beech and chestnuts and and all that stuff that's why they all share that kind of like spiky cap and then but tan oak, Luke, is um, reportedly, you know, like the best acorn. Like the you probably only have. Yeah. I don't know. Never tried it. I have no clue. Mm. But um, so y do you discriminate like 
when you're collecting your your acorns, are you separating them? Are you putting like I've got one? These are white oak acorns in this basket. I got other red oak acorns in this basket. I do um, because I'm OCD like that. So yes, every <laughs> every species gets its own own batch. <laughs> I probably could just throw them all together, but no, I can't do it. Do you mix the flour afterwards? No. Have you, do you ever make blends? <laughs> Uh, no. Wow. Okay. All right. Are you the same I, way with coffee? <laughs> I don't drink coffee. Oh, man. I drink tea. Okay. All right. <laughs> she is a, she's an acorn sommelier. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes when I roast coffee, I find that they don't work that well by themselves, but they would complement each other rather well. So I make a blend and I'm like, holy crap, this is one of the best blends I've ever made. It just, it just works out that way sometimes. So I, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't <laughs> think there is, there's enough aromatics in the, the acorns. acorns to really make that much of a difference. But when I'm, when I'm presenting a dish at a dinner or something, I, I want to like, Oh yeah. this is Quarkus lobata uh, mm-hmm. pasta, you know, and, and it, I don't know that people can actually tell differences when they're actually at a dinner and having their meal and whatnot. Maybe some people do. I don't know. But, um, uh, you know, I think it's good to inform and uh, give people the the full rundown of what they're eating. So you said acorn or Quercus labata pasta, right? So do you have to add flour to that? I don't. I have a secret recipe uh, with no regular flour. Um, So it would be a gluten-free pasta. The gluten-free pasta. And it's one of my Mm. favorite uh, and most well-loved dishes that I do. I do a a chanterelle uh, ravioli, actually, um, with, with the acorn pasta, yeah. That sounds amazing. so good. <laughs> well, and it's also the concept there is these two organisms are living symbiotically mm-hmm. together and then putting them together in a dish. Um, it's pretty, pretty cool. And then sometimes I will find nettle that grows around that uh, same tree. And then there's a great sauce. So wow. I know how much you like nettle, uh, Clay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Definitely, definitely love it. You mean him, but anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, so Jess, you're, uh, you're. I see recently you you've got a lot of classes that are coming up in Arizona. I do. Uh, the weather is nice right now out in Arizona because um, nobody wants to go pick saguaro fruit in 120 degree weather in June. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so. Maybe someday I'll do a, a like uh, survival or like, all right, if you guys can survive this class. Um, no, that's no fun. Um, yeah, I have a couple classes coming up and just uh, basic introductory edible and medicinal plants of the Sonoran Desert. And just a walk through some of my uh, favorite places that I've, I've grown up and um, it's yeah, I, I just love sharing sharing that area with with people um, because 
the area gets a lot of tourists um, or people who've lived there along, you know, their whole lives like me. Um, and they don't realize that it's so abundant with food and just amazing plants that it's like, no, this is a desert. How can you find something to eat out here? But no, really, it's it's more abundant and diverse than actually it is over here in California, I think, in some areas. So no way. Um, yeah, it's it's great. The Sonoran Desert is a magical place. Okay, what name a couple species of like your favorite things? My top favorite thing is saguaro fruit. Okay. So saguaro's the big one, you know, with the arms, the tallest, tallest cactus out there. Yep, just like that, just like that. <laughs> um, and of course, all the fruits are at the very, very top, you know, 60 to 100 feet tall, maybe 100, I don't know. Super tall, super tall. And Wait, 60? They can actually be 60 feet tall? Maybe I'm throwing out incorrect numbers, but um, see, let me think about size of people. Maybe 30, maybe 30 is a better number. Okay, well, that's still pretty dang tall for a, for a cactus. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but very tall, like, yeah, how are you going to get these? And the birds, you know, they fly up there. Um, there's so you have a lot of elements against you out there. Um, and it's, you know, the hottest, most miserable time of year is when they are ripe. And so I find it a nice, super fun challenge to uh, stock up on saguaro fruit out out there at that time of year but people just go crazy over this fruit when I serve it they are just like that is the most amazing tasting thing ever um, mm -hmm. it's strawberry watermelon just super sweet um, really tasty has little crunchy seeds inside that, that are edible um, yeah but I have, I could just go on and on about that but that's how, how does one acquire these fruits well, it takes either um, having, I, I use actually a pool, a uh, swimming pool cleaning rod thing that's extendable, and I can mm -hmm. use that, those to knock them off. Um, or sometimes you're lucky if there's, they'll be on the ground and that animals haven't eaten them uh, because it's so hot out you know they're the animals are really uh quick to get everything um before you before people can but um yeah uh, the pole is you know even like a painter's pole or something something extendable as long as it doesn't bend too much is, is pretty helpful um but I know the native people would take the ribs of the saguaro itself, like the, the inside skeleton part, and tie them together and to make um, to make a, a similar type of apparatus to knock them off and catch them. Luckily, they don't have too many spines on them. Oh, they don't have a lot of spines. Okay. No, unlike prickly pear, which, I mean, if you were trying to catch a prickly pear falling from 30 feet in the sky... <laughs> ouch um, i'm looking no. for volunteers anybody <laughs> yeah. um do, does that does that cactus grow in uh baja california as well no that is the cardone that's a different species of cactus okay because i was going to say um when I, I hitchhiked down baja california 
And um, I actually got up one morning and we had got dropped off at this really beautiful beach. It was like probably in the center of Baja California somewhere. And um, we were like two kilometers away from the store. And I got up really in the morning, we had no water and I walked to the store. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember looking at all the turkey vultures and they were on top of those cactus. And the only thing moving on them was their heads. And they mm. were, they were, as I was walking, they were going like this, they're slowly uh, turned. Like, waiting for look, you to fall. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, uh, I, I, I didn't know what species of cactus that was. I thought mm. that that was a saguaro cactus, but apparently I was wrong. Yeah, they they look very similar, but they're they're a bit different. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming that you would cover stuff like that in your class. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice. Um, so, what other things are you collecting? Like, um, when we think of a when I think of a desert, I'm thinking of cactus. Um, I'm thinking pine nuts sand and sidewinders, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a tumbleweed or two. Yeah, so you said it's very abundant. You said more yeah. uh, biodiverse than the LA region. Um, yeah. So what, like, blow our minds? Uh, let's see. Some of my other favorite things are uh, wolfberries. And wolfberries are related to goji berries. And those, they, lots of those grow out there. Um, there's the desert hackberry. And I love those. Those are fantastic. They taste like little Skittles. Mm -hmm. um, and jojoba beans. I like to collect a lot of those. And of course, mesquite beans um, are fantastic. Um, so versatile in the kitchen. I make a lot of different things with mesquite flour. And also, um, let's see, there's Palo Verde beans. Uh, yeah, lots of legumes. Um, or the three three main legumes out there are the Palo Verde, the mesquite, and the ironwood. And ironwood is fantastic. Those beans are amazing. Um, tastes kind of like peanuts. They're really nice, mm. roasted, really tasty. Um, yeah, let's see. Barrel cactus fruit. Um, of course, prickly pears. Always, everybody loves that. Um, choya fruit. Um, what do you do with choya? Um, I cook them up as like a vegetable, uh, kind of okay. like an okra type vegetable. Yeah, they are kind of like snotty, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much <laughs> all cactus are. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, as far as I, mean, I don't know a cactus that isn't slimy. Oh, well, I meant like, um, I guess like in particular, the one experience I've had with choya was like kind of it being like, I don't know, like snotty, you know, like it just seemed like, bleh, you know, like really mucilaginous. Well, you've had nopales then, right? Yeah, yeah, I've had nopales. And, and, and you know, prickly pear is native to Michigan. Ah. Um, uh, but we have our, we have a separate species from you guys. We have like the northern or eastern prickly pear, Opuncha humafusa. Okay. And, um, and that thing, yeah, I've eaten it. And um, I actually have some in my garden. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um it is uh yeah it's pretty pretty slimy but choya was like that times a million i thought <laughs> um yeah yeah they can be slimy what what are they what cactuses uh 
do people typically make tacos out of? I've seen cactus tacos before. That's the nopales, the uh, prickly pear. Yeah, okay. that's the young leaf. Um, speaking of that, Luke, just to interject here, uh, prickly pear, there is tons of it at Garden of the Gods in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, yeah tons of prickly pear. I've, I've seen so you... prickly pear around here before, Clay. Oh, it's okay. Cool. not super common, but every once in a while you'll see it in a, a random place, like a sandy place next to a barn mm. or something. And you're like, whoa, wait, what's that? Why is that there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, that was one of the most common complaints that uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition had about um, traversing was all the prickly pear and little tiny, um, I think they were like barrel cactus, like little barrel cactus. Um, and a lot of people don't think of the Great Plains as housing that stuff, but um, apparently they were uh, spending almost every single night pulling thorns and spines out of their uh, moccasins. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, Arizona is is pretty cool. Now, when you go to forage in a place like Arizona, are you ambling around or are you like hugging like a river corridor? Mm. Or all of the above. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, the rivers and the creeks and streams all, you know, those are definitely going to have a lot of, of stuff as well. A lot of your riparian things um, like cattail and um, even elderberries and uh, willows and cottonwoods, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just all the other, you know, going out where it's a little bit drier, there's um, going to be more of the cactus and and legumes and stuff but um yeah all over the place fascinating <laughs> um what is your favorite medicine that you were able to gather from the arizona landscape mm. uh, that would be uh we call it creosote um out in california they call it chaparral even though that's a uh a name of a, a region or a um, bioregion mm -hmm. Um, but Larea tridentata is the um, Latin name, and it's a just wonderfully aromatic plant, um, and it is what makes the desert smell like desert rain. Um, mm. So it's that really fresh and just smell of rain, basically. You can, even when it's dry, you can just go up to it and just smell it. It's very resinous and um and just you'll be like, oh, wow, that smells like it just rained. Um, mm -hmm. And so I used that. And that's a fantastic all-purpose uh, topical um, herb. So I'll make salves out of it. Um, and so it's great for, you know, um, antifungal, antibacterial. Um, it helps to speed up healing. Um, and also, and also reduces scarring as well. So yeah, it's very bitter. So, and I know people have used it uh, internally. Um, I would do that with caution. There is some few um, reports of it being a liver toxin, but I'm I'm a little skeptical on that. But it's just so it's bitter, anyways. I wouldn't want to drink too much of it. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever seen one of those gray ghost deer? When you're out there so i, I just uh, have to mention this is partly a hunting podcast so i know that i i know that you um are are not for that 
but um well i, I have news for you clay ooh. Ooh, what's your news <laughs> i have hunted switched sides no i no, haven't you... hunted yet but my <laughs> my uh fiance is a hunter and so things are cool. oh no way I okay it. i love Fascinating. it so how, you, how how do you feel about that change well, I think it's a change that's, well, now this is getting, okay, all my vegan people don't listen. <laughs> um, I think this is a change that's needed to happen. Um, you know, I, it's it's weird how you get stuck into ideals of food and what you mm -hmm. think is right and whatnot. But um, yeah, I I have introduced some meat into my diet um in the last couple years and i wouldn't say it's been a huge change as far as my health wise or energy or anything like that but um you know i, I do feel more satiated more balanced mm. um fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. And, yeah, less hungry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I was vegan for, like, almost 15 years. So, so one thing I can say and I can attest to is I think factory farms are absolutely disgusting. Clay and I were talking, what was it, our our session we did last week about chickens and all that kind of stuff. I just, that's one of the most disgusting things in the world. And we went on and rambled about it, but uh, just they're gross. It's gross. I wouldn't want to eat it either. So I'm totally with mm -hmm. you on that. Um, if I could completely sustain my diet on wild game i totally would um you know a lot of our meat comes from that or either something we raise ourselves it's all ethical choices versus that so i'm with you on that as far as far as like any vegan i side with mm -hmm. them on the side of ethics but mm -hmm. when it comes down to my meat i know that it has lived and even clay most of it you know wild animals they've lived the best life that they could possibly live up until that moment of death and it's not mm -hmm. like it's it's taken for granted at all either. So that that's just something to mention for all your vegan people out there because <laughs> we we make a conscious choice to do it, but at the yeah. same time, as long as people understand that when we do it, you know, there is a reverence for that animal and and we do it because it's it's a way better and more sustainable alternative to factory mm -hmm. farms. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um yeah, absolutely. So what does your fiance hunt? Um, turkey and elk. the doves in, in his elk. backyard. <laughs> um, he eats, he's, I don't know. This is, oh, you don't have to. You he's going to listen. So 
Um, well, it's Arizona, the, so I hope there's elk. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I hope there's elk. But I hope there's mule deer in there. I hope there's bears yet. in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that so? Have you ever seen an elk in the? In the um, oh yeah. Okay, so they're out there just like eating cactus and. Uh, they're in the mountains. Oh, okay. um, so <laughs> a lot of people don't realize we actually have mountains and forests in Arizona. No, I and, knew that, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, up in the mountains, you see elk all the time. And growing up, uh, we would go up in, to the mountains and just drive around looking for elk and deer because my dad used to be a hunter. Um, and that, so we would just go looking for them to check them out. Mm. Um, now, the, the animal that got me talking about meat was uh the coos deer have you ever seen that that's southern yeah hmm. wouldn't that be in in arizona or am i wrong southern that, southern arizona yep okay yeah. on the border of mexico yeah, yeah so, i'm not down there very much i'm more like phoenix area okay yeah so phoenix. the uh yeah, the coos deer, though, is a really cool thing, and you should check it out. I mean, I've never seen one in real life, but I would totally want to. They're um, real small deer, and they're um, it's like... A, it's a species of whitetail. Yeah. They're, they're in the same, yeah. Subspecies, right? No. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So they look identical to an actual, like, a Midwest whitetail, just dwarfed. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Pretty cool. So, like... Yeah, we don't have to get into that, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, you're you're also doing. I had said before that I wanted to talk to you about um, Mexico. Mm-hmm. So you do these trips to Mexico where you take people out on these retreats, and um, you you talk to them about plants, and then you guys um, and mushrooms mm-hmm. of Mexico, and then it culminates in a uh, ceremony. Yeah. Um, can you tell tell us about about these uh, this event and how do people get involved? A and then B. Um, how is that received? How does it go over? Because that sounds intense. Oh yes, uh, definitely intense. Um, you know, we our group is usually pretty selected with folks that um, either have been to, coming to my classes and I know them. Um, or they're friends of friends that that are looking for a certain type of experience. And it's, you know, we're really focused on the, the whole picture from the food to the culture to the nature, uh, you know, mushrooms, the herbal, um, the medicinal herbs out there. And, and just, it's very educational. It's an educational adventure. Um, so you really get a sense of of what it's like there and I have a lot of connections with with the locals and they um you know there are guides and we are eating in their kitchens and um you know um yeah really fantastic food that's you know as you know I've never had food so good (laughs) um and yeah and then at the end we you know, the group really gets to build some really strong bonds with each other. Um, you know, we've, we've shared quite an adventure and, and then we embark on a ceremony and starts with a sweat lodge and then, um, partake in some mushrooms and 
enjoy the rest of the day. Some people, you know, and, and it's very flexible to where, you know, if some people need some time in nature, um, they're welcome to, to do that. If they're more comfortable going back to their room, they can do that as well. Um, and then I'm just there to support and um, be there for, for the journeyers. And uh, the feedback I've heard from folks is just, it's life-changing, um, you know, and, and really getting to see a different perspective in, in life and, um, you know, maybe reflect on their own journeys or, or some, you know, where some things just click differently. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a very trans, uh, transformative experience for, for most of the folks that go there. Wow. Yeah. And um, not to get like too technical here, but do you happen to know what species of mushroom they're imbibing in? Psilocybe uh, zapoticorum. Oh, wow. <laughs> you do know. Okay. I do know. I, I would absolutely know. Yes. Yeah, that's Very amazing. Important. Um, so is this the same one that like, um, you know who Maria Sabina was? Yes. Is that mm -hmm. like this? That's her mushroom? Wow. Uh, I, I believe there's a few different species that she was using, but um, yeah, this is this one grows right there in the hills. Um, we're not too far from where she um, she lived. So it's mm -hmm. it's all in that that same zone. OK, Luke, do you know who Maria Sabina was? Yes, I've seen the documentary on Netflix, I do believe. I, I didn't um, know there was a documentary. Yeah, to where they talk about her and the rituals that she used to perform or ceremonies, not rituals, but ceremonies with yeah. people and, and help heal them through their yeah. life and their journey. Yeah. And she did it for like ever. Yes. From like when she was like nine yeah. years old. Yeah. Until she was like 89 <laughs> or 90 something. Yeah. 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 Uh, pretty, pretty spectacular woman from the sounds of it. Um, and, and apparently just sat there, you know, she, she just give people mushrooms and then just, kind of just sit there in silence just staring at you we'll guide them she would guide them yeah guide yeah them yeah, yeah. i know yeah. but but, I, yeah. but i'm just kind of like you know like could you imagine just being like given an unspecified like everybody's like all about numbers nowadays you know i gotta take <laughs> this many this many grams she just gives you just like this wad of mushrooms well and just like, that's that's part of what we experience down there um, okay and they are served on a leaf and you and there's several different options and you pick whichever grouping you know it's like maybe three four five mushrooms some of them there's been times where they're like as long as your arm they're <laughs> massive yeah <laughs> and you know the brave folks go for some like that um but yeah it's there's no measurements there's just like oh the um the guide's just like well here here this one this looks good for you and oh wow yeah so <laughs> yeah, yeah so um this uh this summer i went out and um went to a local nature preserve and i hadn't i hadn't done that in years and i had somehow done that thing where like i convinced myself that um you know a i didn't need it b you know it was going to be so terrifying and scary and it's all like ego talk right your ego is just like oh you don't need to do it. you know like i yeah. personally i personally think that um every adult should if you're capable and you're not going to go crazy from it of course you know you got to be safe but i think that everybody like 
I think it's so healthy for our mental, our mental well-being. And I, I went out and I did it. And of course, I, I, I just like, oh my God, like I had the most amazing experience. I, I like full clove, like dipped in a river. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I just felt like such like, like sigh of relief, you know, and I can, I can only imagine how magical that feeling would be like in Mexico, you know, cause like I, I, I love Mexico so much. Yeah. Up there in the cloud forest too. It's just, just magical. Yeah. So um, how are you going to be hosting another one of those events? Uh, it's likely. Um, mm-hmm. I am starting a doctorate of science program in January. So I'm going to see mm. how my load of uh, work is going to be for how that's going to work. Um, and then we'll see. Uh, yeah, if I can schedule in another one for the summertime. Holy moly. Um, so what is that going to entail then? You're embarking on this like whole big journey. Um, what do you, what's the eventual plan? Um, I just need to know more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I, I love school for one. Um, I love learning. I love just getting really deeper into subjects and, um, and really, I want to be active in actual science. Like, I, I want to write papers, write, um, you know, journal articles. I want to, you know, be involved in the scientific community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, that's that's the goal. Um, you know, do some research and, you know, make an impact out there. Help people change lives. All that. So what, what do you think you are going to... Uh hone in on those what I mean what are you going to be studying and writing about uh well the degree is technically integrative health so really Mm. that can be uh pretty much anything um but my focus is you know bringing all those things like food and medicine and environment and community and the spiritual side as well bringing Mm. all those things together you know um and mushrooms as well like how how do mushrooms play a role in that and so that's that's my starting point and I'm sure it's going to get much more refined as I work with my advisors and um really get into it yeah that's going to be super exciting I'm I'm you know as far as like people I know foragers in the country mm-hmm. just uh I'm I'm honest here. You are like one of the most inspiring people in the country to me because like, what? I, I, I'm always, I'm always like, man, she's doing classes in Mexico. <laughs> like, um, I'm like, I'm like, I gotta get, I'm like, man, I'm like a bum <laughs> compared to her. You know? Well, I'm, I'm living in Southern California trying to support my kids and pay mortgage. So I, I'm like, I have no other choice, <laughs> honestly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you're being humble. I think that you are uh, super talented, and I'm like, I, I personally feel like blessed to have uh, met you in my life, and you know, Aww. gotten got gotten to know you. And I think that it'd be really cool to like um have some event in the future where you you and your fiance could come. And, you know, um, maybe we could uh, maybe invite him to um, pig camp. Yeah, he would <laughs> love that. He would love absolutely love uh, to do some more hunting. Because uh, yeah. he doesn't have any hunting, too many hunting buddies. So we're building uh, a community. So yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially I feel that 
what good is knowledge without trying to pass it on, right? So yeah. Clay takes me under the wing, this little eaglet, and uh, teaches me as much as he can about plants. And in turn, I try and tell him about deer and other hunting stuff. And then in turn, a lot of other foragers, they have the curiosity, but mm-hmm. there's just no one there for them to learn from. So we try and teach as many as we can. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what are you, what do you got coming up next, Jess? Like, what do you, um, if, if you had to, uh, you got, you got some time to tell people about like events, like, like how they can find you everything like that. Yeah. Uh, well, my next big thing, uh, is going to be in the next couple months. Um, I'm doing all my mushroom classes are going to happen in January, February. Um, I'm doing a little mini course so people can do a whole package of different classes from mushroom hunting to cooking to medicinal mushrooms, um, um, all the identification and all that stuff. Um, so that's coming up. I'm, I also do an apprenticeship through my, my little school program that I've created uh, called the Wild Path School. And so I take on a small group of apprentices each spring and we dive deep and I teach them everything I know. We go out into the field several times a month. We have um, online lectures as well and uh, group projects and stuff like that. Um, So that's I'm excited for that. That's coming up. And. uh, Yeah, those are the two big ones, but yeah, you can. Find me at thewildpathschool.org. No, sorry, thewildpath.org. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I should put that in there, but I don't know. Maybe I'll add another one and it'll mm-hmm. forward over to there. Anyways, um, also jstarwood.com is my main website. And I'm on Instagram at jess.starwood. I tell you what, your emails that, that I get from the Wild Path, Oh, <laughs> that's that's another one of those things where I, I open it and I'm like, my God, this is beautiful. <laughs> I'm I like, didn't know Man. you got it. Yeah, yeah. You cool. Yeah, yeah. I got I get your um, your newsletter and I'm always like, man, what did she like hire like a professional like magazine company to create this thing? The I literally did everything. Yeah. 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 Come on, Clay. We need to start <laughs> yeah. an email. By the way, we need we we need a yeah, newsletter. I'm, I mean, I have a newsletter on my website, but it's like so ghetto in comparison. I can believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, is there anything else that, um, Jess, that you want to say, like get out there? I know that you love uh, giving people like um, just awesome words of advice and things. So I want to give you some space. Yeah. Well, I I feel that, you know, nature holds the secrets to anything that we find ourselves challenged with in life. Um, and I've been running into a lot of folks with depression and anxiety and, and a lot of, of that lately. And, you know, I, and I know people are jumping to mushrooms to try and fix everything as a magic bullet, but, mm-hmm. you know, start with just going for walks going outside, spending as much time as you can in nature. And I think that's, that's a, a big part of the problem. 
these days where people feel disconnected, um, you know, disoriented and, and what they're doing with their lives and whatnot. But um, yeah, go camping for the weekend, go take a hike, go, uh, you know, just check out the neighborhood park. Um, just makes a world of difference, you know, and I, I see that in my, my teenage daughters too. And as they're getting older and, and screens and, and busy lives are getting taking in, um, taking over, um, you know, they, I see a difference when it's like, hey, let's just go for a walk down the street and turns a, a bad day around pretty quick. Yeah. We're, we're just not built, not built for the environment that we live in currently. I mean, no. modern day life is such a detriment to our health. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And you're, you're yeah. absolutely right. Build a connection with nature. Nature mm -hmm. is going to heal you. It's where we yeah. came from. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sit in a tree for 12 hours, right, Luke? Yeah, <laughs> I connected with nature, and I even brought some of it home with me. I have a multiflora thorn right here in my finger. Ooh. I've been picking at it for the past hour. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jess, Luke was out um, trying to. Uh, he, he's he's a white-tailed crazy person, and so he was out all day sitting in a tree, and I'm I'm just like. Oh, mind blown like that i would i mean die. i got down and moved clay it wasn't like i was in the <laughs> same tree all day although i yeah it was about the 2 30 ish point throughout the day so sunset was at like 4 49 or something like that so like 2 30 i'm like ah oh, is it over yet can it just be over like i need to get down i need to move i can't do this mm. anymore and then as soon as the the sunlight started like fading and then just that like golden lights like started you know the where you get the the sunset the colors coming through the trees and i was like oh wait mm -hmm. a minute this is so much better this is what i needed it was just that high sun that was just driving mm -hmm. me crazy there was no shadows no nothing yeah. then, <laughs> then i was good. well yeah well um i hope to never have to endure that in my you're, life you're going to you will i will make you <laughs> I will make you. <laughs> uh, um, well, if I get a deer, uh, that might be worth it, maybe. Absolutely. Uh, we'll make yeah. it happen. Jess, yeah. it was anyway. awesome meeting you. Awesome talking to you. Uh, always yeah, always exciting. Yeah. Yeah, Jess, um, I really hope that um, we can invite you back on and uh, talk about your science mm. in the future. Sounds good. Yeah, it's the, just the beginning of the journey here. Awesome. I'm so excited for you. Well, thank you again for coming on and uh, talking to us. It's a, always a pleasure. All right. Absolutely. Anytime. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.
think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.